This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Donna Chavis. Thank you, Sid, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today for Messianic Vision. Our guest is the founder and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center in California. She also hosts the Prophetic Word Television Program. She's an author, an international healing minister, and an evangelist. And I know you always say, wow, you guys have some really, really wonderful guests, and we certainly do. And today is no exception. Please welcome Dr. Michelle Corral. Hello, everyone, and what a wonderful privilege it is to be with everyone, and I know we're going to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit during this podcast. Yes, yes, we certainly are. Now, uh, Dr. Michelle, you are a new guest for us, your first time being with us, so I really like to start with a little background when our listeners have not heard you before, possibly. So how did you become a believer? Thank you so much. Oh, my, it was so awesome. You know, revival is really real. And I am a product of the 1970s Jesus movement. It was a revival that hit Southern California by the power of God, and literally thousands and thousands of young people came to know the Lord. And I was one of those that God put his hand on during this time of him calling so many young people into the ministry and into the kingdom. And I became a believer at a Wilkerson Outreach Week at Melody Land Christian Center. It was awesome. Now, I understand you had quite a supernatural experience associated with that as well. You were sitting in your seat, listening to the altar call, and what did you feel? Yes, my dear. Um, It was just so awesome. You know, I had never been in a church where they speak about being born again. But that night, as the pastor, the young man who was preaching that night in this Wilkerson Outreach Week, was sharing about being born again, giving your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit was dealing with me so strong. And it was something I really wanted to do. But I didn't know that grace is what saves you. I didn't know that you didn't have to turn over a new leaf or try to be better or use willpower. But I said the prayer, oh, Jesus, I want to be a Christian. And all of a sudden, two hands lifted me up and literally carried me to the altar. It was the hands of God because he knew I really wanted to give myself to him, but I didn't want to be a hypocrite. And so I found myself at the altar and literally for three solid days, I wept. And that was weeping for forgiveness, weeping for just the joy of Jesus coming into my heart. It was so wonderful. Wonderful. Well, today we're going to be talking with Dr. Michelle about secrets of the anointing and supernatural adventures, and that sounds pretty great to me. So, Dr. Michelle, talk to us a little bit about what you call the key characteristics 
of the Messiah, which was his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yes, thank you so much. You know, beloved, the scriptures foretold that the key identifying factor of the Messiah would be his unique relationship with the Holy Spirit above anyone else that ever lived on this earth. And and the scripture tells us this in Isaiah 42. The scripture prophesies that I will put my spirit upon my servant in whom I'm going to be well pleased. And we saw that that was fulfilled at the River Jordan when Jesus was baptized in water and the Holy Spirit made a a public announcement through the voice of the Father, but through him descending in bodily shape upon him. So we need to understand that this was a tremendous identifying factor of Jesus in his role as a Messiah as he was inaugurated to the entire land of Israel as the Messiah. And the Bible also tells us that his unique relationship with the Spirit, I call this the mission statement of Jesus. Uh, Isaiah 61, verse 1, that says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. Mm. Hallelujah. The words that are used here, Donna, are actually personal pronouns because Jesus was the first person to know the Holy Spirit, not just as a power, but as a person. Yes, and and it says, He has anointed me. Yes, He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And so we really understand these personal pronouns that that are spoken of concerning the Messiah and his relationship with the Holy Spirit that was later fulfilled in the upper room at the Last Supper when Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit as a person to all of the disciples, to all 12 of them. He said, he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever things he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit's not just a power. He is a person. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's exciting. And and I like that you talk about the mission of the Holy Spirit and, and the fact that it's the same, and it's always been the same as it was thousands of years ago, to reveal Jesus to you so that we will hear Jesus through him. And that all comes from the anointing. <laughs> so... Yes, that's great. What Absolutely. Why did you write the book Secrets of the Anointing? Well, my desire is I've been, you know, since day one after I became baptized in the Spirit, which was about a, a, a month after I became born again, the Holy Spirit has really directed my life. And I, I was one of those uh, very privileged individuals in the early 1970s that had the privilege, as many of us did, to sit under the ministry of Catherine Coleman. And uh, wherever she was when she was in California, God opened the door that I could go and I could hear and I could experience the power of the Holy Spirit as never before. And what was so wonderful is that one of the ladies who worked in the Shrine Auditorium, and Catherine had a very small staff, her name was Sister Edith Kabish. We were so privileged that she actually trained many of us that were the young people 
people that were in the Jesus movement. She trained us to listen to the Holy Spirit, to follow the Holy Spirit, and to learn how to be sensitive to yielding to the Holy Spirit. And it was a tremendous experience for us because she represented the generation before. So that was just coupled together with the Jesus movement, which made it so powerful. And now you have written this and provided all of this nice audio teaching package for us as a legacy to the future generations. Yes, that's my great desire, because so many in this generation don't have the background of knowing the generals, who the generals were, how to move, and how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, how to know the difference between our own self and the true Spirit of God, His promptings, His leadings. Sometimes ministers and young people that start out in the ministry, they start out so anointed, then they have to face spiritual warfare. And they don't understand. They think, God, did you really call me? God, is your hand really on me? How do I know the difference between really being used of God? And why am I going through this? And I wanted to write this book, number one, for the young people and also for all people, to know that you are God's anointed. You are the ones God is going to use in this next generation. You are the ones that are going to have dreams, visions, and you are the ones that God wants to interpret your own tongues, and to know how the Holy Spirit moves. And so this is why I really wrote this book, and also to raise up missionaries that will go into all the world to preach the gospel, because God wants to use you wherever you are, whether it's a hospital room, in your office, at home, a teacher, or just raising up young people in this hour, men and women of God, in whatever place you are, to be used by the Spirit. Yes, yes. And I don't know about other people, but, but I think in times past, I thought about when I, when I would think about the anointing, I would think about, oh, the, the sweet Holy Spirit, the, the precious presence of the Holy Spirit. But after reading your book and, and hearing some of your teaching, I'm like, yes, yes, that's all true. But there is a power and a boldness in the anointing of the Holy Spirit as well that just, that just blew me away. Yes, yes. And it, and we just thank the Lord for that because the Lord is so powerful and he does give us a boldness. And that's exactly what happened when I first came to the Lord. I, I was so bold. I, I really didn't know too much about protocol. <laughs> Learn that later, you know, because when you're young, you don't know those things and you go forward with the fire of God. But I was so bold. I wanted to do anything for Jesus and just be so courageous that I would preach the gospel wherever he would send me, even if it was in dangerous territory. Yes. Well, talking about being bold and talking about preaching the gospel anywhere he sent you, tell us about uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that actually empowered you to go into China, at, really at a time where it was almost impossible. Yes. At the age of 24, I, I came to the Lord uh, one week before I turned 17, and I immediately began training. I went to Melody Land. I had training there at Melody Land School of Theology a little bit later, and also got involved in ministry at a young age. And so when I started Breath of the Spirit in, uh, in 1978, right after I founded the ministry, right around the year of 1980, right before 19. 
1980, the People's Republic of China opened up to Americans to go in and to visit and to take tours. And the Chinese government was actually um, wanting Americans to come in and to develop friendship with that nation. Well, most of us that were in the ministry at that time, no matter if you were young, old, whoever you were, our eyes were on the People's Republic of China because it had been closed for so many years. Right. And so much persecution was taking place, and we just wanted to go in and evangelize that nation. So I immediately began preparing to go on a mission trip to China and to take some of our people that had become members of Breath of the Spirit into China, and we endeavored to go in with a Bible smuggling mission. (laughs) Okay, we're talking about power here in boldness, so... (laughs) Amen. So we we prepared, and the first thing we did was we went... uh, there were 30 of us. I had um, a mission in the Philippines, and from the Philippines, we went to um, to Hong Kong. Well, before we had gotten to Hong Kong, before we left, we went through training with a tremendous ministry here in Southern California that is known all over the world for years for helping the underground and helping the underground church. So we contacted them for training so that we would be able to do this correctly, boldly, with prayer, and in the proper context, and that we would not be endangering any of the underground believers, that we would be able to do it secretly, but be able to do it also with wisdom and prudence, so that those believers that lived in the inside would not be in danger. So we did. And um, when we got to Hong Kong, we met the representative from that ministry in the United States that met us, and they gave us all the Bibles. We had 30 individuals with us. But after they met all the 30 of us, they told us, gave us some good advice, and said, really, if you want to be successful in China and you want to bring these Bibles in, we highly suggest to you only select a few that are going to go in that will be able to um, to bring the Bibles in, that will not be able to be nervous. I guess they noticed some people were just a little bit anxious, not accustomed to doing something because it was such a very dangerous mission. So they told us to select keen, brave, calm individuals that would not fret under the threat of interrogation and not to flinch under communist customs agents. So we chose nine of those. And um, when we got to to the border, we we left Hong Kong, and we went on one of those hydroplanes for the first time. The second time I went to China, we went on a regular train. But this time, we went on a hydroplane, and I got so nauseated going over. And then when I got there, oh, my goodness, I was in culture shock. You could just hear the little bicycles and see just even on the uh, right there on the seashore and there was the customs entry on the way in and you know 
you never – I've always heard when I was a child that when people get frightened, their knees knock. Well, this time, I really did feel my knees knock. I was bold on the inside, but on the outside, I knew they were going to open up our suitcase, and they were going to look inside that suitcase, and they were going to – you know, there were literally so many Bibles in each one of our suitcases, and this particular or- organization taught us how to pack them so that if our suitcases were opened, we would pray that the Lord would blind the eyes of those communist agents, that they would not see them. So when I was in Hong Kong, of all things, back in the 1980s, girls liked to wear hair pieces and eyelashes and all of those things. The Holy Spirit told me, put your eyelashes and put all those cosmetics on top of your clothing. I didn't know why he said to do it, but I obeyed him and I did it. Well, because the communist agents had not been accustomed to seeing Western, the Western way people dress, they weren't accustomed to eyelashes or they weren't accustomed to hair color or anything like that. When they opened up my suitcase, they began to speak to each other in Chinese I didn't understand. And I thought, oh, my God, maybe they know there's Bibles in here. And they they began to look and then they called other people over and the tension began to rise. I thought, oh, my goodness. I'm going to be interrogated, and, oh, Lord, help us. And as soon as I did, they spoke to each other in Mandarin. Then they shut the suitcase and told me to go on. They were laughing because they'd never seen such a thing before. (laughs) So you had a, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you had a little bit of inside information there and some instruction from the Holy Spirit of kind of, what to do, how to navigate this to where you wouldn't be interrogated. I think it just took them by surprise, huh? Yes, you know, I truly believe that when a person is operating in their purpose, that the anointing will come upon that person's life and will give that person boldness, will give that individual, like there are many listening here today, when you are in your highest purpose and you don't go out of the parameters of that purpose and you stay focused on that purpose, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be in full operation that you need at the time. You may not have them all at once, but whatever you need at that moment, the Holy Ghost is going to provide the supernatural means for you to fulfill that calling and to be able to bring the gospel in the level that he wants it brought. You know, something, uh, Michelle, that, that just really was interesting to me is this is a strategy that the Holy Spirit gave you on more than one occasion. Uh, tell me about when you went in and, and you were instructed to wear a red silk suit. Yes. Well, you know, we never went on our missions without lots of prayer behind it. And this time now it's the 1990s. So my ministry had started in 78. So now it's developing a lot more and we're raising up intercessors. So before I went in the 90s, I had so many intercessors praying. But I remember the Holy Spirit told me specifically, I had bought this suit in Los Angeles. It was a beautiful red silky suit and it had gold cuffs 
um, that were beaded and a beautiful gold beaded collar. And I didn't know why the Holy Spirit wanted me to wear. It seemed a tad ostentatious for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, why am I buying this suit? And um, I bought it. And then the Lord told me, take it to China. Well, I had no idea that in the Chinese mind, those that are unevangelized Chinese always look for certain colors that that they believe are um, going to open the doors in some way. So I wore this red suit with these with um, this gold trim beaded, and I did not look like a missionary at all. <laughs> and the Lord told me this time you're going to be very bold, and. Uh, my suitcase was filled with Bibles. I had some other individuals with me, this time a much smaller group, and because we had another plan when we entered the People's Republic, we were going to actually do some street evangelizing, something I would not recommend to anyone unless the Holy Spirit really, really told you what to do. But this is something that had been, I had travailed for years. This is something that I've been praying for for years. This is something that I felt from my childhood. Um, even before I became a Christian, that China was something burning in my heart. And it was something that when the Holy Spirit puts a call in your heart, whoever you are, wherever you are, when he puts a call in your heart, even before you know him, even as a child, that fire and that that call will continue to burn. And when you get older, it will be fulfilled as you give your life to him. And so um, when I got to the People's Republic of China, I had this suitcase full of Bibles, and so did so many others. But I thought we, this time we took a train, and there were – right when I started to get off the train – I saw military police there. Now, there's a difference between the soldiers. They wear the green um, uniform with the red star across the, the, the cap, and they have it on their shoulders. But the military police are dressed in blue. And the Lord said, ask the military police to carry your luggage. And I thought, oh, my gosh, these are filled with Bibles. But I was wearing the red suit. And I went over there almost like a damsel in distress, and I asked those communist guards, can you please help me with these suitcases? They were filled with Bibles, and they helped me. And they, they actually took the Bibles to the customs. They, they didn't really search the, the, um, the suitcase with – they just opened the suitcase, closed it, and sent us on our way. They didn't do any major research, and I know that God allowed it to be that way because he gives us a strategy. Sometimes he'll tell you to dress one way. Sometimes he'll tell you to say certain things. Sometimes he'll tell you how to prepare. This is why it's so important that we listen to the Holy Spirit and never go by our plan, that always go by his plan. And he will give you a plan when you are in his will, especially when you're boldly preaching the gospel and you're willing to lay your life down for the gospel. We were in a place where we could have you know, been incarcerated, or we could have really um, maybe even given our lives, but we were willing to do that for souls. Yes. And you tell us that when you actually started to leave, th there was a communist soldier there that you, you actually, Michelle, went over to and gave him one of the Bibles. Yes. 
this time when we went in, um, before we had gone in, the organization that we've been working with for many years that was expert in underground church ministry and um, evangelism in China told us that one of the, that the young people of the People's Republic of China wanted to learn English. So they had designed this brand new Bible, New Testament, with Mandarin on one side and English on the other so that it would be a means you could use the um, the Bible as a form of learning how to speak English. So on this particular trip, as I was leaving, there was a soldier. And, you know, after you've been doing this kind of evangelism in the country for a few days as it was time to leave, um, the fire of God was so burning and the anointing was so heavy. And as I was leaving, I saw this lonely, all-by-himself soldier right in the airport, and he was wearing the green military outfit. And he really was a communist soldier with a red um, star on the cap and everything. And as I looked at him, I said, God, just this young man, he doesn't know Jesus. He's never heard his name. He doesn't even know that he died on the cross for him. And the Lord told me, he said, it's your life or his life. And I didn't quite understand it first, but then I knew that God was saying, are you willing to give your life? And he's a soldier. You go up and you hand him a Bible, you could go to jail. You're giving him a Bible that is forbidden to have in the land of China. But the Lord said, it's your life or his life. And I said, Lord, his life is much more important than my life because he needs to know you. And if he doesn't know you, he doesn't have life. So I went over there and I had another little gift. It was like a little, you know, one of the things we did when we went there is we had gifts that we gave to the people. I would not suggest this to anyone. Please don't do this unless the Holy Spirit has really told you to do so with prayer and fasting for months behind it, because this is really a dangerous thing to do. But we did. And we, um, we, I had a gift to give him, and I had the Bible to give him. And I said, you probably don't, he barely understood English, he barely understood what I, what I was giving, but he took it in his hands, and I opened it, and I showed him the Mandarin side, and I showed him the English side. And he readily took it, and he began to read it. And as I continued in the airport, walking toward the, the plane, I could see him still reading it. And I was thanking God for the privilege of being able to put that Bible into the hands of that precious Chinese soldier. So thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes. And we think about the Holy Spirit, and I know a lot of people, the gift of speaking in tongues. And, you know, sometimes there's there's that heavenly language that's just between you and the Holy Spirit. But there's also times, and you experienced this on one of your trips, to where the Holy Spirit actually gives you a language that is understood by the people. Yes. Um, let me just explain. This has also happened in China. Um, it was just awesome, uh, just an awesome experience. Um, when we had gone to the People's Republic of China, when it first opened, um, it, this was on the 1980 trip when the Lord had blinded the eyes through the cosmetics on top of the Bibles. Um, 
uh, we had gone into the People's Republic, and we were invited to go to a patriotic church and to have a friendship exchange. This meant that the churches that are recognized by the communist government are actually communist churches. They're not free churches where a person can go and speak the gospel and Believers can be actually baptized. This is a government-controlled system where um, where persons that go to the church can go to the church, but it, it has to adhere to the regulations of the communist um, the, the communist rules, the communist laws, and even in the church, the co- head of the communist party at the time was. Um, in the place where the cross should be. But we went there, and the place was packed just with people who were hungry, who wanted to know Jesus. And I got up to do the friendship exchange and wanted to preach the gospel, tried very desperately to preach within the confines that are non-negotiable in the People's Republic with a translator. Right. So you were speaking, you were speaking in English, and the interpreter would would then interpret it in their language. Yes. And this is, I believe, they still do this today in the friendship churches or the three self-churches. And so, therefore, um, I was there, and everyone that I brought with me was able to share a few moments of an exchange. But as a missionary, my heart was broken because I was not able to say, Jesus loves you. Um, I was not able to say, you can be born again. You can receive him into your heart as your Savior. He's a healer. He's a baptizer. He wants to set you free. I was not able to say any of that. And they gave us strict regulations before we went in to not ever mention baptism, to not ever mention um, anything like that. So... After the service was over, they had a little exchange in a courtyard right outside um, the church, and it was supposed to be a friendship exchange. I don't think that the communists, um, in their natural way that they prepared it, would have ever thought there'd be any danger in that. You just shake the hands, they allow it to go on for a few minutes, and, you know, most Americans don't know Chinese, so it's not really going to be a dangerous thing. But when we went out there, I said, Jesus, let me tell these people about your love for them. Dear Jesus, if I could just speak Mandarin just for a few moments, this is what happened in the book of Acts. Oh, Lord God, give me the language to be able to communicate to these people because the communist uh, interpreter wasn't out there to help us. Nobody was out there. We were just alone, just having, you know, some drinks with those people and shaking their hands. But that was it. And all of a sudden, I felt the power of God come on me, and I began to move my mouth, and a language in Chinese began to come out, and the people that smuggled Bibles with me, we had 30 people, but nine smuggled those Bibles into the People's Republic. All of a sudden, the same thing happened to them, and they began to speak, and this went on for about seven to eight minutes. We were just speaking, but the most powerful thing was the Chinese Chinese people began to form lines 
and they began to take our hands and put our hands on parts of their body as if to say, pray for this, pray for my head, pray for my legs, pray for my back. And this this went on for about seven to eight minutes, and then, uh, of course, the man who was the interpreter barged in. He saw what was happening, and he was a little bit upset. He said, well, I told you that you could only speak certain things. Sign your name in this book. And we did, but nothing happened. God protected us. Yes, yes. Let me ask you this question. I know a lot of people listen to testimonies like this and stories like yours, and they may say, well, that's great for her. Maybe maybe that's a particular gift that she has. Maybe that's that's something that God has done for her. But you teach and you tell us, Michelle, that this is transferable. This anointing is transferable. What does that mean for us and for those that are listening? Yes. You know, the anointing is contagious. You have to want the anointing. You have to seek after it. You have to be willing to pay the price for it. You know, Elijah went by Elisha and he cast his mantle on him and he was prepared to follow him. But then he said, let me go and bury my father first. And that didn't mean let me go to my father's funeral. In biblical times, that meant uh, it might be 10 years, 20 years till my father passes away and then I'll go. And Elijah said, get back. What have I done to you? And immediately Elisha knew what he was saying, that he knew he had to make a commitment. And that anointing that he received when the mantle went upon him, when he made that commitment to minister to Elijah all the days till Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, that is how the anointing came upon him. And you know something? The anointing is so contagious. If I could say this one thing that I, one day the Holy Spirit revealed to me this thing in the Bible, this incredible revelation in the Bible, I often thought, how did the disciples heal when Jesus sent them on the healing mission before they received the baptism in the Holy Ghost? It seemed almost unusual that that would happen. And I I sought the scriptures and I sought it out. Then I realized it was because the anointing that was on Jesus, that those 12 from being around the anointing became anointed because the anointing is transferable. This is why the Lord told Moses, put your hands on Joshua. And he put his hands on Joshua and he said that some of my honor, your honor might come upon him. And that's why the Bible says the spirit of Elijah does rest upon Elisha. And this is what happened in the book of Numbers when the Lord told Moses, this burden's way too heavy for you to carry alone. He said, select 70 men that are wise among you and bring Bring them to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and I will take of the spirit that's on you, and I will put it on them. So the anointing's transferable, and whoever wants that anointing, if you're willing to pay the price for it, you're going to have it unlimited in your life as, as you stay in your purpose. God will give it to you as you walk in your purpose and fulfill God's will. It's available for you. Will you take just a moment and speak to those that are listening right now and and just pray for them? I I know you're saying this is transferable. This is impartable. Will you pray for those uh, for an impartation of the anointing 
that you carry for those that are listening to you right now, to listening to your voice? Well, you know, there's no limit to the Holy Spirit. There are mothers who need the anointing to know how to talk to their children that might be in a place of rebellion or might be a a generation gap or some type of misunderstanding. There are young people that are being called to the ministry right now that are listening to this podcast. There are ministers that say, Holy Ghost, I want more anointing in my ministry. And right now, in the name of Jesus, precious Lord, I ask you to breathe upon these thy precious children to receive the anointing. And Lord, I pray right now that people that are listening would feel the power of God come on their hands, on their feet. Oh, Lord God, put it in their mouth, Lord God. Lord Jesus, let the visible evidence that the Spirit has come upon them, that even tonight they will dream dreams, that when they fall asleep like what you did for Jacob and what you did for Joseph and what you've done, Lord, for Daniel and all of so many, the sign of the Spirit, they will... They will see visions, and they will dream dreams. Lord, supernaturally, let it come on their life in Jesus' name. Healing ministries, Lord, deliverance ministries. You called us to cast out devils. We give you praise and we give you glory that these mighty anointings are coming all over those who hear. Lord, healing the sick. And Lord, even to the point that those that are at the point of death, Lord, you're going to give the power to call them, Father, those that are at death's door, those that are even unconscious, to call them back. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Yes, yes. Well, Sid and I are so excited about this powerful resource from Dr. Michelle Corral that we are offering today. It's her book, Secrets of the Anointing, and her exclusive four-part audio teaching series, Supernatural Adventures, Angels, Dreams, Miracles, and More. Now, Sid's going to be here at the end of the program to tell you how you can get this resource for yourself, for your small group, for your church, so don't miss it. Well, we're going to talk about the contagious component of the anointing right now with Dr. Michelle Corral. And Michelle, tell us about meeting Mother Teresa. Oh, my goodness. This was one of the most exciting, wonderful experiences. But again, how the Holy Spirit works in our life before um, his plan actually comes into fruition. He begins to deal with us. I started to hear about Mother Teresa in the 1970s. I'd come home from a church service late at night, turn on World Vision, and there would be this woman named Mother Teresa. And I was a little bit just, you know, awestruck by her and all of her works, helping famines all over the world and so on. And one time I was going to Bombay, India to do a a healing crusade um, in India. And when I got there, I heard that Mother Teresa was not in Calcutta, but she had actually flown into Bombay for a special event that was going to take place in one of her homes called Asha Dawn. It was the anniversary, seventh anniversary of that home for special uh, needs children. So I I thought, well, I've got to get to that place. I've got to go find Mother Teresa. And it just so happened that everything in my schedule worked out because my service was not till the evening, but the events that were going to take place at Ashadon happened in the afternoon. 
And I went there, and Mother Teresa was there. And when I walked in the door, you know, I went through all these slums. Oh, my gosh. The odors of those slums were just really pungent. And um, we endured this rickety ride to get there. And I had no idea when I went into that place, when I met Mother Teresa for the first time, that there would be years ahead filled with many divine appointments in so many countries where I would actually have, you know, encounters with Mother Teresa. Did you feel like that that was a day that was kind of a, a day that you could mark that you were actually transformed for a greater level of ministry of anointing? Yes. That day that I met her, it was her kindness. It was her love. It was the way she was taking care of the poor and the way that she just had so much um, care for every person that came. We had a very unusual group. We had one of the local singers that we've known here in the United States as well. He was a very famous singer. His wife came with us. Then we had an international missionary statesman with us, and um, he was one of the founders of the Assemblies of God, uh, a relative. And, and we had all different kinds of people, and I noticed Mother Teresa was so personal with every person, as if she knew every person from the very beginning. And she spent so much time with every every person that I felt that pure love. It was changed um, for the rest of my life, and, and that was really exciting. And we were talking about transferable just a moment ago, uh, but, but you said you actually felt like there was an impartation that, that was happening during this time. Yes. Well, there were several meetings with Mother Teresa after the years. It seemed like every time I'd go to a country to preach the gospel, Mother Teresa happened to be in the same city that I was in. This happened 10 different times. And one time, I don't know how my name was on a list, but it was. I have no idea. I really didn't know the people well. But Mother Teresa was going to be here in Los Angeles in um, one of the slum areas of L.A., I hate to say that, but that's what it was, in a very poor housing project area in a little home. Um, and she was going to go there and speak to the missionary brothers. It was a very, very small place, and they called me to go there. I didn't understand why my name was called, but it was. So when I got there, it, the place was so small that they didn't even use chairs to put the people in. Everybody was standing in one room. And I didn't know where I was going to stand, but one of the workers motioned me over. And they somehow I was swept over to stand right near Mother Teresa. And as I was standing there, I started to weep. And I started to cry. And I, I knew the power of God was coming on me for something in the future, but I didn't know what it was. And I was so embarrassed. I thought, if Mother looks at me now and I'm crying like a baby, this is going to be unbelievable. But she looked at me as if to say, I know exactly what you're feeling, because she knew I was feeling Jesus. And she knew that the Spirit of God was touching me for something in the future. 
I believe that just as that anointing, and it wasn't a coincidence, just as that anointing came upon me from that experience, I believe that the same Holy Spirit is preparing the passageway for supernatural setups for all those who are in the audience today, that you are going to be in the right place at the right time for the impartation in your own life. Yes, yes. I, You know, something that just just amazed me, I know you were, there was a, a one time in, in 2009, you were getting ready to leave leave to go to the Philippines to actually minister and hold a healing crusade. Now, this was huge. This was huge. Tens of thousands of people expected to be there. But on your way, I I mean, you had to be extremely excited to be able to minister to that many people at one time. But on your way, the Holy Spirit spoke something to you that surprised you a little. Yes. And as I was coming into the um, the airport and the plane was landing, I was thinking about all those thousands of people that were going to be in the Araneta Coliseum, about 35,000 people packing in the Araneta Coliseum. It was going to be a huge healing service and a rally, a birthday celebration for this huge ministry in the Philippines, and I was their guest speaker. And I was so excited about it, and I heard as the sunlight was just beaming into the plane as I opened the window, I heard the Lord say, I sent you for one. And I I knew in my heart that Jesus was telling me, yes, there's tens of thousands of people that you're going to minister to, but there's one individual that I want you to look for, that I want you to find here in this Philippines that is going to be touched by my spirit, someone that I love, someone that I'm watching, someone that has, uh, that has a broken heart, someone who's in great need, and you need to find that soul. And so what happened? I know you went, you had your meeting. Uh, many miracles happened. How did you find the one? Well, after the meeting, after that great meeting in the Araneta, and it was going to happen about three days, I came home that night, and as I did, I thought, you know what, Jesus, this is wonderful that all these tens of thousands of people are getting healed, they're getting born again, they're getting baptized in the Holy Ghost, and so many wonderful events are taking place. But I didn't feel that I was fulfilling the exact reason why I was called. I kept hearing the Lord saying, search for the soul, search for that one soul that I sent you to this place for. So that very night, I spoke to my staff and I said, you know, I'm not going to ask you to go with me. I'm going to give you the choice because I'm going to get up really early. And even if I have to take a taxi, which I didn't have to do, they provided a driver. I am going to go out to the Jose Rodriguez Hospital, which is way out far in a place called Tala. It was a leprosorium because in my spirit, I felt that the person that Jesus wanted me to seek for and the person that Jesus was longing for was in that hospital, in the Jose Rodriguez Hospital. And um, I'd heard of this hospital. It was pretty dilapidated. It was not um, like one of our hospitals, like, you know, the local hospital with all the modern equipment. It was a pretty run-down hospital where lepers were left in the hands of the government, and it didn't receive a whole lot of help. So we drove out there, and when we got there, um, I asked... The head nurse, um, I brought some things for the people. And I said, may I visit the wards and just pray for the people? And I knew in my heart this would be a way to go on the search 
Jesus wanted me to go on. And she said, all right, you can go through. Let me walk you through the ward. So the nurse was so sweet. She walked us from ward to ward. And the first ward I went to, there were a lot of lepers. I prayed for them, but I didn't, I didn't feel that tug. I didn't feel this is the soul Jesus is thirsting for. This is the soul Jesus wants, even though he wanted them all. And I, I went from ward to ward, and I started to get confused, saying, Lord, I know you sent me here, and you told me you sent me for one, but who, Lord? And I asked the lady, I said, are these all the wards? She said, there's one more ward, but it also has not just leprosy patients. There's diabetic patients as well. Would you like to walk over to that ward? I said, oh, yes. The minute I walked into the ward, there she was. She was sitting on the edge of the bed. She was a little girl. She looked like she was about 10, but in reality, at that time, she was about 18. She was filled with leprosy sores from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, and they were a different type of leprosy um, that she had. After I met her, I, I realized that there's different forms of leprosy, and she had one of the worst forms of leprosy that makes um, just uh, strong uh, like almost like stripes on your face and on your hands. They're wounds and they burn. And when we went over there, she was reading a book. And I was so impressed. I thought, here's this little girl sitting on the edge of the bed. But I thought to myself, why is she alone? Where's her mama? Where's her daddy? Where's her brothers and sisters? She's all alone on the edge of this bed wearing this yellow nightgown all by herself. So I went over. I didn't want to intimidate her, so I went really gentle. And I said, hello, sweetie. What's your name? And she said, Rosalie, ma'am. She was very polite. And I said, what are you reading? And she said, a book, ma'am. And I said, may I sit down next to you, sweetheart? And she said, yes, ma'am. And I said, I was really bold. I said, sweetie, may I ask you a question? And she said, yes. I said, could I put you on my lap for a few minutes? And would you mind if I just rocked you in my arms? And she said, yes, ma'am. So I just took her because I knew she was abandoned. I knew she was alone. I knew she had leprosy. I knew there was nobody in the world that was with her except the nurses and the other patients. So I just took her and I rocked her for about maybe 10 minutes. And I knew I had to leave because I had a service that night. So when I was ready to leave, Donna, I didn't want to leave her alone. I, I felt a bonding with her. I felt like uh, she was assigned to me from God because the Lord said, I sent you for one. So I asked one of the local Filipino brothers who was involved in the church that I was the guest who had driven me there. I said, brother, would you mind please checking up on her after I leave? You know, whatever she needs, I'll send the money. You can take care of her. Please, could you make sure that she's not just a bad here and left here. He said, sure. Well, when I got home about two weeks later, I got the news that when we we all came there, when she, when uh, the staff that was with me, when I was rocking her in my arms, the presence of God had touched her and she was totally healed of her leprosy. So from that point on, it began a great relationship with this young girl. She was released out of the hospital. She was able to go back to school. Um, when she got older, she got her bachelor's degree. Now she's married, and she is actually an employee for our ministry in the Philippines. <laughs> Michelle, are, are you totally in awe at how God's anointing works sometimes? Just in awe. Yeah. 
<laughs> that, that's what I was thinking too. And this is something that I really like. You said the anointing is like a secret weapon that helps us, but we also are very emotional beings. So this, this secret weapon helps us master our emotions. Yes. You know, a lot of people don't realize that the anointing actually works by love. You know, we can use the anointing to lord over people. We can use the anointing to be better than people. But, you know, the way Jesus used the anointing was to break yokes, to set them free. But also, there was something about Jesus. He was in constantly being confronted, and his emotions were constantly being challenged. And one of the places that amazes me at what the anointing did for Jesus was at his greatest moment of destiny, because it was his destiny to go to the cross. That was his greatest hour, was to go to the cross. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, that place represents the anointing. It's the place of the olive press. It's the place where he um, travailed for all of our sins. And he began to be, the Bible says, he began to be amazed, and he began to weep, and he began to sweat drops of blood. And just as the prayer was over. He said, rise, let us be going, for he that betrays me is coming. And it amazes me the way Matthew puts it, that as soon as Judas came with the torches and all of the soldiers to um, to arrest the innocent son of God, and here he had just been in prayer and was willing to give everything for you and for me, the words that came out of his mouth, instead of being filled with anger or revenge or saying, you little rascal, why did you do this to me? I should have known then better than to trust you. No, he said to Judas, friend, wherefore art thou come? That's the King James. Why did you come here, friend? And, you know, to call Judas friend shows us that he had his emotions under control. So this is one of the greatest supernatural signs of the anointing. And it is a wonder the way that the anointing will give you the power to even love your enemies. To love our enemies is not possible in the capacity of our own human love. This is a miracle that can only come from the anointing, and it depends on love that's not from this world. Because some of the giants that we face on a regular basis um, are, are not just physical giants. They can be emotional within ourselves, or they can be actual spiritual emotions that we feel. So the enemy that was prevailing in the garden was seeking a way for Jesus not to accomplish his task. And one of the ways would have been if Jesus for one split second would have lost his temper, which we know he wouldn't have done, but he could have. Or if for one moment even the slightest bit of anger or bitterness or revenge um, would have come into Jesus' heart, it would have interfered with his mission going to the cross. But the anointing of the Spirit that he received from the prayer, from the place of the wine press, so caused his emotions to be so under subjection of the Holy Spirit that he was able to draw from the anointing. And even when all the principalities and powers of hell were challenging him to sin or to say a word that would have thrown him off, he just responded in utmost love. 
So the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to vanquish strife, anger, bitterness, revenge, evil speaking toward others. We don't have to respond like that. We can respond in love. Yes, yes, that is right. Well, once again, let me remind everyone that's listening that Sid will be here at the end of the program to tell you how you can get Dr. Michelle's book, Secrets of the Anointing, and her four-part audio teaching series, Supernatural Adventures, Angels, Dreams, miracles, and more. Well, Michelle, speaking of the four-part audio teaching series, Supernatural Adventures, Angels, Dreams, Miracles, and More, tell us just a little bit about the four messages that the folks that order this product will get in this package. Yes, Angels Assigned to Us is one of the most powerful teachings. They will learn about the three species of angels, the two-winged, the four-winged, six-winged angels. They will also learn that the angels um, will lead us, they'll guide us, they'll protect us on our path to destiny. And every one of us are surrounded by angels. The Bible says he has given his angels charge over us. So you will learn also about the prominent ranks of angels and secrets of angels. All of these are taken from the scriptures, from years of studying about the angels. What about the next one? Yes, night visions and dreams. You know, one of the signs of the Spirit that is going to happen to all of us is that we are all going to have dreams and visions. This is a sign, a specific identifying factor of baptism in the Spirit, also with speaking in tongues. And dreams are a vehicle of prophecy. Many people didn't know that. They didn't realize that oftentimes you will have a prophetic dream. It will either be something in the future or it could actually be something that's happening right now that you're asking God about, just like Joseph at the Christmas story. But the Bible says, well, he thought on these things. The angel of the Lord appeared in the dream and clarified all that confusion out of his mind. So God can do that for you. And so dreams are all throughout the Bible, and we will go from Genesis to Revelation on some of the teachings on on dreams and how they work, how to interpret them. And and what about this one, blood evidence? Blood evidence is one of the most powerful teachings that are dearest to my heart. You know, many of us have a hard time understanding the Old Testament. And we say, wow, why were all those sacrifices in the Old Testament? But we need to realize from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God has the salvation message leading to the cross. And when we realize that the uh, Old Testament sacrifices are types and shadows, and, and they are types and shadows of the blood of Jesus, so we will see a trail of blood evidence throughout the scriptures. I will lead you through the different types of sacrifices and how it reveals the messianic sacrifice of the one true sacrifice that Jesus paid and how he sums up in his sacrifice of Calvary all of the sacrifices. Hallelujah. Yes. And the fourth one is called Methods for the Miraculous. So I know everybody's going to love that one as well. So I would love to have one more story that since we were talking about angels, uh, your CD, Angels Assigned to Us, I know in over 40 years of ministry, you have experienced so many of these things. Tell us the story about the angels in Nigeria. 
oh, this is really I know. one of the most powerful stories. We had been in Nigeria. This, again, was in many years ago. Um, I had been invited to Nigeria, and I, as, as a trailblazer, I wanted way back when to go to unconquered frontiers. So we went to a place two hours outside of the place, Cross River State in Calabar, way back in this place called Itu, where the people didn't even speak Nigerian. They spoke Ethic. It is the place where the Presbyterian missionary many years ago named Mary Slesser began her great work among the indigenous peoples. And we'd been there, and we had great success there. We had actually baptized in a lagoon hundreds and hundreds of Nigerians because we had had a real uh, Holy Ghost crusade, and people had walked for miles to come to be baptized there. But after the crusade was over, back in those days, they only had um, an exit uh, by plane from the airstrip leaving about twice a week. And it was an airstrip in Calabar, but it took two hours from Itu just to get to Calabar to get to the airstrip. And then from the airstrip, you would be flown into Lagos, Nigeria. So it was the morning we were supposed to leave, and all of the rides could not come to get us. I was in shock because we had been on the mission field for a while. There were seven of us. We had all kinds of suitcases. We didn't know who in the world in the village could take us to the airstrip. It was two hours away, and it started to rain. It was about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was dark outside. And really and truly, if you could envision this, all you could hear were the sounds of the jungles of Nigeria and the stars still twinkling in the sky with it beginning to rain. It was really something. But the Holy Spirit told me not to fret. And he told me, just wait. And I, I told the team, I know God is going to get us out of here. Even though we don't have a ride, we don't know how we're going to get out of here. I know the Holy Spirit is faithful, and he's going to get us out of here. So the Lord said, just wait. So we waited five minutes. We waited ten minutes. We knew if we didn't get a ride soon, we were going to miss that airstrip ride. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, came this white station wagon with two Nigerians inside of it. One was a driver and the other one was his assistant. And we flagged them down and said, can you help us? And they said, sure, we can help you. Get in. Well, we didn't know how we were going to possibly get all seven people into that station wagon. That was before they had vans. So that'll tell you um, that was a way long time ago. And, and so we got into the station wagon. We were all hunched up inside, but somehow we fit with our luggage and everything. Some of us were really squished, but we were there. And we said, can you take us to Calabar, the airstrip? And they said, sure. So as we were going... All of a sudden, we started to sing some of our songs. We were so happy. And the brethren, we realized, the drivers knew our songs. And we thought, how can they know these American songs? As we kept singing and we kept praising God, they seemed to know everything we were knowing. And it was quite unusual. Then they started to talk about the Lord, and, and they started to talk about Jesus. And uh, before you know it, we were at the airstrip. And they said, all right, we've taken you this far. And as we were getting out of the car, we started to walk down the airstrip with our suitcases. When we turned around, they were gone. 
We know the Lord had sent special angels to the jungles of Nigeria to get us out of there so that we would not miss our international flight going home from Lagos, Nigeria, back to Los Angeles. That's how good God is. <laughs> that is good. I love that story. They have had encounters with angels as well. Whether they realize it or not, they come in the form of men. You don't just have to see flashing lights in the sky, which you could also see. But oftentimes, the Bible says to be careful. Um, that, that we entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels unawares. Yes, yes. Well, we're coming to a close of the program today, and I want to ask you one last question here and then have you pray for us. Michelle, here's the question. Why do I need the anointing? Well, you know, my beloved, first of all, the anointing is the power of God. It's the bondage-breaking power of God. For my own life, through the trials that I've been through in my life as a young person and even in ministry, if it wasn't for the anointing, I would never have been able to make it. The anointing is what keeps you on fire for God. The anointing is what leads you to your destiny. The anointing is what causes you to do a work for God and do it in excellence because it's not you doing it. It's the Holy Ghost doing it through you. It is the anointing that gives you the supernatural power. It empowers you with all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. It's one thing to receive the gifts and to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and to receive that power but how to operate in it and how to flow in it is a whole nother story. And that can only come through being sensitive to the Spirit and learning how to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit through the anointing in your life. So we need that anointing. Yes, yes, we do. I would love for you to take just a moment before we leave and say goodbye and just uh, pray. If you'll pray for the impartation of the anointing and whatever else you would like to pray for right now. Yes, Holy Spirit of God, today we want to thank you. First, we want to pray for the whole Sid Roth staff. We want to pray for everyone who's so dedicated and loves the anointing so much. And we want to thank you for a ministry, Father God, that is just so dedicated to the supernatural in a time, Lord God, when there's so much that is taking away from that. And Lord, I pray right now for every person listening to this to this podcast. I pray, Father, I'm seeing in the Spirit somebody who's got a child with feet that need healing. And we just speak the word of healing to that child whose feet need healing. And Lord, we pray right now for young people that are listening and older people that love you, Jesus, someone that's in severe depression today. And that depression is breaking right now. And I just feel that there's an anointing from the people who are listening today, that the power of God's going to come on your pillow. And when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, there's going to be a miraculous manifestation of dreams that the Lord is going to come and speak to you. The Bible says, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. And so, Lord, we just give you praise right now. And we pray right now for this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit to be reactivated in this generation. And that is the gift of interpreting our own tongues. To be able to interpret tongues, Father, you said in your word in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let him that prayeth in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. So Lord, we just pray right now that we might be able to interpret our tongues and come into a greater revelation of what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life and to be able to move out into the supernatural as we've never moved out before. We don't want to be limited. 
Lord, anoint men, anoint women, anoint little children right now in Jesus' name. Little children that are going to learn from a young age to be prophetic right now. Anoint teenagers that are listening to this podcast. Lord God, send them forth in their missions. Let them go to YWAM. Let them go, Father God, in in a powerful mission with a purpose. And Lord, we pray for grandmas and grandpas that, Lord, you begin to reveal to them the destinies of their grandchildren and let them pray it forth into existence existence in the name of Jesus and we give you praise and we give you glory because nothing's impossible with you Lord thank you Jesus amen and amen amen and I'll say amen right along with you on that one thank you so so much for being here my greatest honor my dear and now here's Sid Roth to tell you how you can get Dr. Michelle Corral's book Secrets of the Anointing and also her exclusive four-part audio teaching series Supernatural Adventures Angels Dreams Miracles and More Sid Dr. Michelle Corral was mentored under Catherine Coleman's ministry and Mother Teresa She says this anointing is transferable, and she wants to impart the boldness and the power and the compassion that she operates in to you. Dr. Michelle has developed this powerful resource package that includes her new book, Secrets of the Anointing, and her brand new and exclusive four-part audio teaching package, Supernatural Adventures, angels, dreams, miracles, and more. The messages include angels assigned to you, night visions and dreams, blood evidence, and methods for the miraculous. You can get her new book, Secrets of the Anointing, and her brand new and exclusive four-part audio teaching package, Supernatural Adventures, Angels, Dreams, Miracles, and More, all for an investment of only 39 U.S. dollars to have the power that Catherine Coleman walked under and the compassion that Mother Teresa walked under imparted to you all for an investment of only 39 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. Once again, that's one 800 447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org, S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Be sure to ask for offer number 9677. That's offer number 9677.